Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello folks, and welcome to yet another episode of the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales success. I have with me my esteemed colleagues, Mr. Phil Jessen and Mr. Graham Jones in the Sales Chat Show studio, but we are joined by our special guest star, Mr. Anthony Steers, otherwise known as the Telephone Assassin. Um, we are exploring the topic of are successful salespeople pushy or not? So the stereotypical image of salespeople in many countries is a bit of a negative one. They're pushy, slimy, manipulative, negative. And Anthony spends a lot of time working with salespeople who are <laughs> working pushy. over working over the telephone. <laughs> I know where Graham's going, yeah. <laughs> Anthony spends a lot. No, he doesn't. This Graham's being naughty, ladies. You, know, you spend a lot of time working with salespeople over the telephone, a domain which is often labelled with that kind of stereotypical, stereotypical image. So we thought we'd we would explore your thoughts on are successful people sales people pushy or not. However, I need to point out. Anthony may not be qualified, ladies and gentlemen, because he told us that he has failed a psychometric test, the results of which showed, according to the person who did the test, that he couldn't close sales. Uh, who invited him here, then? I, well, we, we, I think we need to know more about... And Graham is attempting to... Making Anthony feel really welcome. Graham is accusing him of being manipulative. Well, I think I might do an impromptu psychometric test on that at the moment. Anthony, syndrome kicking. tell us a little, How would you describe what you do, by the way, for our listeners? So I help people with telephone engagement. I usually get put in the uh, sales training category, although I always start an adamant in the fact that I'm more of a customer service trainer than a sales trainer. And the reason that I say that is I don't try and teach people how to sell, but simply show them how to help their customers to buy. Okay, and is and that I believe is your response to the psychometric question, isn't it? That's right. Tell us, yes. tell us the story. So tell in us my story. last uh, proper job in inverted commas when I was employed, um, I had to do a psychometric test, and I remember on the second interview going in, and the lady sitting there with a piece of paper saying, "Okay, uh, thanks for coming back. We have the results to your psychometric test here, um, uh, and interestingly enough, here it says you can't close." To which I kind of smiled, didn't shrug my shoulders, went, oh, okay, that's interesting. And she said, oh, I don't know if you heard me, the psychometric test that you did in your last interview has come back and it says here that you, you can't actually close a sale. And I just went, wow, that is interesting. Well, there was a pause and she kind of looked at me as if to say, you better say something better than that's interesting. So I asked her uh, if she'd seen, if she'd read my CV, which it was sat in front of her, and she said yes. And then I asked her if she'd read my CV, and she looked at me like my older sister does, as if to go, this better be going somewhere. And she said, she said yes, of course I have. I said, so hopefully you've noticed that I broke the sales records in my last job. And she said, well, yes, actually, it's the only reason you got invited back. So I went, oh, okay, um, well, 
in answer to your response about the psychometric test is I think it's probably right. I, I'm, I'm actually not a very good closer. In fact, I'm rubbish at selling. I'm just really good at helping customers to buy. <laughs> and that's kind of the response. I got a little chuckle about three to five seconds of, of that. She spun on her chair, tore up this piece of paper and went, well, that was a waste of time. You start on Monday. Okay. Um, and the reason that I share that with people is you don't have to be an aggressive salesperson to make sales. Okay, so so um, you, you've mentioned previously that you work with kind of two sort of groups of people, you know, aggressive salespeople. Pushy and slimy. Pushy, <laughs> pushy <laughs> aggressive salespeople. And so first people they, were, they, they were not the words that I chose no, to no. use. <laughs> uh, I use the word slimy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so people typically, when they're on the phone, usually fall into one of two categories. Okay. You have the more aggressive salespeople that throw a lot of mud at the wall knowing that some mud will stick. Um, What I end up doing with them is just teaching them good manners and a bit of patience and showing them that, yes, if you throw enough mud at the wall, it will stick. But I do sniper sales, not scattergun. So it's a lot of effort to throw mud at the wall. And if only a couple of bits stick, you could probably find a much more productive way of getting those same sales. So for those people, I just try and teach them to slow down a bit and understand the buying journey that their clients are going on so that they can talk them through that buying process so by the time they get to the close, they're ready to make a decision. You've built rapport, you've built credibility, you've built urgency. Do you think think they come across as pushy because they've been targeted, for example, quite commonly, isn't it? They've been targeted with a certain number of calls to make a yes. day and they want to and they want to get, you know, sometimes as long as you do the calls, if you do enough calls, you get enough yeah. sales. It's the kind of the old adage, isn't it, you know? Yeah, that is absolutely it. And I always say to them, it's not their fault, it's their manager's fault. Um, and usually it's because I believe they're being given old-fashioned sales tactics about numbers games. Yeah. Um, and quite often when I ask people what they measure, around telephone activity they usually measure the number of dials or the number of calls uh, the number of meetings that you book or the number of quotes that you send out and the number of deals that you close which are all sensible things to measure in a business the problem that I have is people try to apply a logic that if you made 50 calls yesterday and you got to say you got two quotes from it then that means if you made a hundred calls today you would get four quotes well it doesn't work like that Mm -hmm. they have no correlation to each other so what I try and get people to do is create a point system that represents each step within their sales cycle so that you can understand the value in the conversation and you can see that they have progressed through the sales cycle Uh, The nice thing about having these points is that you can um, tell people where you're going to take them next so that there's no surprises. Um, It also means that the salesperson in question knows where they're at in the sales cycle and that they don't skip to the close too soon and get a no. Because a lot of what old-fashioned sales tactics teach you is that each no is one step closer to your next yes. And in my mind, that is absolute rubbish. Two no's on the trot, in my mind, mean you're either phoning the wrong people or you're taking the wrong approach. Very simple. So don't get me wrong, sales is a numbers game, but it's not about collecting no's. It's about capitalising on the conversations people are ready to have. Oh, okay, that's an interesting an interesting approach. Mr. Jesson. Interesting topic we're talking about um, today. Um, I think successful salespeople are pushing once. But they fail to recognise the lifetime value of the customer. And that's probably their mistake. And I don't think they're helped either by the industry that we work in, or to be more precise, the 
history of the industry that work in 50, 60 years ago was publishing nonsense books like the 57 ways to develop a killer instinct (laughs) and I think it probably lured people into the wrong methodology on day one Uh, fortunately through sessions like this and others I think we're trying to right that wrong so I think Anthony's absolutely right Um, there's no place really in today's world for that over-the-top pushy response if ongoing business is important to the lifeblood of the company. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting. And you have a, a great analogy. Um, pizza menus, you mentioned to us before we, before we went on air. Yes, so this is an analogy that I tend to give when you're working around lead generation and you're trying to find new opportunities or what most people in the industry would call cold calling, which not a huge fan of that phrase. Um, but the analogy I always give is that outbound phone calls, particularly lead gen phone calls, should feel like you're dropping off a pizza menu. Uh, so what I mean by that is typically we all get takeaway menus put through our letterbox on a weekly basis. Um, but when I ask the question of how many people have actually had the person dropping off the menu physically knock on the door, can I take your order? They, they tend to laugh a little bit and think, well, that's incredibly rude. You would just slam the door in their face. And quite often, the more aggressive salespeople out there, I have to point out that that's how you come across on the phone. When you do this premature elaboration and you just blast a pitch down the phone to anybody who, who answers, you set off alarm bells that say it's a sales call. So really what you want to be doing is dropping off your pizza menu in a way of having a conversation with them that says, look, this is what we do, but I'm assuming this isn't something you're looking to buy right now. Is that correct? Basically put the most common objection on the table, which is generally we're not looking to buy this right now. If you put that on the table, you can get past it. Mm. And once they say, yes, you're right, we aren't looking to buy this now, you say, okay, but is it something that you might buy in the future or might look to buy in the future? To which you usually get, if you've done any bit of research, uh, well, actually, yes, we might. Our contract comes up from renewal at this point or our strategy may change at this point. Um, so that's that's the kind of... Um, Way and, the, and then that information fed into the CRM system? Yeah, exactly. The so time. the other example that I would tend to give here is I've done quite a lot of stuff with insurance companies. And to be honest with you, when they speak to a potential new customer, there's one crucial bit of information that they really want, and that's when is your renewal date? And the reason that they want that is because if you've just renewed your insurance, you've got at least 10 months before you're even going to entertain the conversation about insurance. It's not that interesting. Okay, Um, so it's all about understanding their desired timeframes and when they're going to have an appetite for your for your service or your product, which for some of us, it might be project project related. For others, it might just be ongoing development and you've got to fit in with a, a development program that they're already going on. All the timings of their business year, presumably. Yeah, exactly. I've got I've got leads at the moment that basically they, they still want to do training, but they've used up all their budget. They've asked me to wait until the budget resets. So I need to acknowledge that. And what I could either do is show desperation and try and close them sooner and offer to spread the payments and not take money yet, but that's not how I do business, or I can patiently wait until I know they've got the funds available. But what I do do is when you're pipelining people, um, so you've qualified them for a potential future need, is you do need multiple touch points, even doesn't have to be a conversation. And what I get people to do is, I alluded to it earlier, that 
the middle part of a conversation is building credibility. You need mm -hmm. to build rapport first, but you then need to build credibility. And the way you do that is by sharing success stories people can relate to, so case studies and testimonials. So if somebody's in your pipeline for six months before they're ready to buy from you or ready to talk again, every couple of months I'd be sending them another case study of another company I've worked with just like them to say, look, I've been doing this work with these guys recently, look what they're saying about us, assuming we're still not going to speak until Christmas time, but if anything's changed, please come back to me. And it just allows you to keep building on the credibility, gives you multiple touch points, um, keeps them kind of warm until they're ready to have that conversation. But I was going to say that this all sounds very well, but it just strikes me you're not pushy enough. <laughs> that, that, and that's why you can't close sales. Yes, yeah. I think. And, and, and so, but if we think about that, yeah, yeah. The, the very reason that you failed your test was because they were asking the wrong question. Yeah, so they're asking the, the question about, you know, basically, do you close sales? Yeah, and you don't, yeah, because you've just given those two alternatives. Yeah, you could try and close the sale. They're not going to buy from you because they haven't got the budget, or you could carry on developing the relationship and just keep in front of mind until it's the point where you can get them to consider something. And so you're the kind of person who's going to take the second route, not the first route. The problem is that many businesses constantly try and take the first route yeah. because they're asking another wrong question. They're asking, you know. How many calls do we need to make to get you know your lack of correlation? They're asking yep. you know how many salespeople do we need on a patch to achieve this? How many? They're doing a numbers game, yep. but they're asking the wrong questions about the wrong numbers, and they're inevitably getting the wrong answers. Mm -hmm. So we've got another program about don't close a sale. Yeah, there is no need yeah. to close sales. There's plenty of evidence that shows that people who try and close sales actually sell less than people who don't bother. So all those businesses that are suggesting you be pushy because you've got to get to the close, mm -hmm. it's the wrong question. Gosh, so yeah. much chat show flying in the face of so-called really? conventional sales wisdom. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> well, Make a note of that. Is, <laughs> I always say to people, I don't do database marketing, I do wish list marketing. So there are certain campaigns out there where you're doing a data cleanse and you're literally just trying to get straight to the point and you're trying to get your database down and leave it to just some of the good stuff. The reason I got the name Telephone Assassin was in the first five, six years of working for myself, I used to make calls for people and they always used to try and send me a database, which inevitably they stole from their previous employer or got some underhanded way. <laughs> um, and I would always turn around to them and say, I don't want this. Can you just give me a wish list of people you want to deal with that would make the biggest difference? Because I'd rather have a list of 20 people and try and get you into 10 to 15 of them in the next six months than I would to have a list of 500 and my job is to pitch so many times. Right. And the reason why the throwing loads of mud at the wall to, and, and being too aggressive, why I think it's dangerous, is if you upset the wrong person in, the, in this day and age that's got a massive following online, they're going to slate you online yeah. and then your marketing all becomes around burying bad stuff that people have written about you. And I've worked with clients and big companies who've had to phoenix themselves and restart under a different name because somebody had named and shamed them or put something online. In fact, there's industries out there where they... I've seen them slating their competitors in order to try and make this happen. So it's it's a risky one, I think, yeah. from a numbers game yeah. perspective. But I, but what you're saying is, uh, salespeople have targets. So they're they're told, well, if you want to make this many sales, you've got to make this many calls. That the bit that makes this a numbers game is. It's your job is to qualify people into your pipeline, so you're only talking to people that might do business with you. Personally, I think if you nurture the pipeline and it's got quality in it, it will convert and close itself. 
I mean, I don't know how many times you guys have had inquiries that sounded really good at the time, then they went off the boil, and over a year, two years later, you just get an email to say, could you still do that workshop? Yes. And yes. I, I get them as well, and I had, had one recently, and it was just, I looked, and it was over 18 months ago that I last spoke to them. Uh, we'd swapped a few messages, and I like a few things that they do on social media, so I try and follow some of yeah. your advice and stay sort of front of mind a little bit. But actually, yes, I can try and close it, but my problem with that is I'm forcing a conversation that they don't want to have yet, which generally means I'm not going to get the outcome I want. Is interesting. And what about the folks at the other end of the spectrum, you're, uh, the opposite end of the aggression? Because <laughs> I think a lot of people listening will be like, the last thing in the world I can, you know, I really want to do yeah. is like pick up the telephone and, and you know, because you get, you get that sort of, because yeah. you don't want to be seen as being a pushy Person. You don't, person. It's not even pushy. You don't want to be seen as being salesy. Yeah. And the salesy word and that is enough without putting horrible connotations to it. But the other extreme is typically either an account manager or a customer service kind of person that would never dream of making outbound phone calls or proactive phone calls. And with them, all I really try and do, particularly with the account managers, is, is teach them how to upserve their clients and be more valuable um, to their business. So in some instances, if you're an account manager that um, is looking after a client, you've probably delivered some kind of work from them already. So it's your responsibility, I believe, to get some feedback at the end of it to make sure that they were happy. And if they are happy and they're going to write something nice, then that needs to be a case study that you should personally want to go and share with another company who's just like your customer to say, I don't. and this is the beautiful thing that I tend to give a lot of account managers, you can even start off your call by saying, please excuse me, I don't normally make these kinds of calls. It's usually our sales reps that would do this, but I look after, let's give an example, hotels for yeah. our company, and I've got three or four that think we're wonderful. I'd love to share what they are saying about us, and if you think it's worth us having a coffee, I'd love to come and have a proper chat. Um, and that's just kind of how you build your credibility with people mm. to say that, actually, I've helped people like you, and by pre-framing that call by saying it's normally one of our sales reps, and I get directors to say that same thing yes. sometimes because a lot yeah. of directors, I have it with speakers that go, I can't make the call, I will look desperate. <laughs> I look like I haven't got any work. And I mean, no, you won't. You'll actually make them feel special because they'll go, oh my God, it was actually Simon Hazeldean who phoned me. It wasn't one of his minions. <laughs> Maybe that was the word, not the best example to use. But <laughs> I, have so, I have so many minions. <laughs> uh, We've never been, been called minions. We've never been called minions. <laughs> I didn't know I was a minion. Um, but, it, but yeah, it's something that, I, particularly in, with speakers. I heard, I heard uh, the American negotiation um, guru, Jim Camp, um, he was being interviewed and he said something like his, their, their sort of approach would be... Um, I don't even know if we can help you in this area because we've not, you know, we've not spoken enough. I'm just really interested. Who have you got in your corner helping you with? And then he inserted the, the solution, which is a really nice, really nice way of just saying, don't even know if we can help you, but but I'm really just yeah. interested to know. Yeah. And, and what's clever about that is all he's trying to do there is a, is establish a potential future need for the That's, services. He's trying to locate the incumbent, yeah. which then, if you're smart, you will typically praise and find out what they like about them, as opposed to saying, how could they improve? Because that's generally where most of us will go because yeah. we want to rub salt in the wounds. But usually ask them what they like about them. And they, they will then open up and tell you about it. If you acknowledge and put on the table that they probably do have an external person who's helping them with this you make it okay for that to be the case yes. and therefore they will be open and honest with you so sometimes just putting your cards on the table and being prepared to be patient and, and 
take the time to learn enough to help them mm. um, is probably a much stronger way of trying yes. to move them forwards. And not but, pushy um, at all. But, uh, but one comment that you said something about you, you need to be pushy once. Um, no, I didn't say you well, need to some, be Sometimes you only need to be You can be. You can sometimes. be pushy once. Yeah. One of the things that I end up doing more with the account managers is I show them impeccable manners. Um, on the phone and this basically means that you don't enter into conversations people aren't ready to have um, once you have built the rapport and you've established credibility and you understand their time frames you've then earned the right to be able to make recommendations and guide them and actually you can be quite assertive while being very polite and getting them to do the things that they said they wanted to do at the very beginning rather than deviating from it and stalling and keeping mm. stuff uh, to themselves Oh, is kind of yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, Mr. Mr. Jess. Uh, yes, I'm just going to um, summarise, if I may, and uh, first of all by thanking Anthony for his great contribution, and I'm hoping our listeners have found that a fascinating insight into success in sales today. What I've taken from it is that it's not a numbers game, uh, it's a people game. It's not about upselling it's about up serving it's not about pushing people it's pulling them and taking them with us it's not about putting the arm up the back with some fancy closing technique it's more about hand holding and working together uh, and that dreadful phrase close the sale no it's not about closing the sale it's more about opening up a lifetime of future opportunities Fantastic. Good, good summary. And uh, Anthony, if people wanted to get hold of you to talk about how you might be able to help them, would you just like to mention best way to get yes. you? If you want to talk to me, the best thing to do is to pick up the telephone. <laughs> um, if you're outside of the UK, the number will start with a plus four four, but I'm about to give you a mobile number that everybody should save into their mobiles forever. Any, uh, <laughs> any challenge that they've got about being on the telephone. Uh, I get told off for doing this and I do it when I'm on stage, but to be honest with you, I call people's bluff because a very small percentage actually bother to pick up the phone. In fact, I still laugh at the number of people who think an email approach is still the best one for me. But for getting in touch, my telephone number is uh, 07887-798-033. And in case you're wondering, I don't have a gatekeeper. And as long as I'm not on stage or on the phone, I'll always take your call. And if not, I'll always call you back. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. This has been the uh, Sales Chat Show. Phil Jessen, Graham Jones, and I'm Simon Hastings with our uh, very special guest star, Anthony Steers, the Telephone Assassin. There are lots more episodes, including other ones where we dig further into Anthony's uh, wealth of knowledge and experience. You'll find those all at saleschatshow.com. In the meantime, we'd just like to wish you good luck and good selling, folks. You have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 